Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello, I'm Pat Rulo, and welcome back to our important time together. I'm always so appreciative that you care to listen because that means we are on our way to making some positive changes. Changes in the way we choose to receive healthcare and changes in how we as consumers are treated by big industry. And today, I'm going to share some scary military history with you that is impacting our health right this very second. Your health, my health, and the health of every bird, insect, and tree. And later in the show, our guest has something to say about our end-of-life conversations. Not something we readily wish to think about, let alone have, with our family members and healthcare providers. But just because something is difficult or unsettling doesn't mean we should ignore it. Guess what? It won't go away. So he has some valuable solutions to help us with that. Well, that must mean that this is the perfect time to get started as I have some astounding revelations for you. And that can only mean one thing. It's time for the Healthcare Hazard of the Week. Recently, I had the opportunity to interview a fine man from British Columbia for my other radio program called Boil the Frog Slowly, which I co-host with my friend, Sebastian Sanzota. And as a side note, I encourage you to listen to some groundbreaking guest interviews at boilthefrogradio.com, boilthefrogradio.com, where the topics revolve around the question, are politics hazardous to your health? Well, my guest at that time was Jerry Flynn. He is a retired Canadian Armed Forces captain who spent 22 of his 26 years in the military in the arcane fields of electronic warfare and signals intelligence. At the zenith of his career, he was the executive officer and operations officer at one of Canada's largest and most sensitive intelligence gathering stations where for two years he personally directed some 200 plus specially trained radio operators and technicians. After that he was posted into the National Defense Headquarters of Ottawa into the Directorate of Electronic Warfare. So he clearly has knowledge when he speaks about the extreme dangers due to the radio frequency given off by cell phones, smart meters, baby monitors and other wireless technology. Recently, he wrote a letter to Health Canada that applies to the United States as well. And I thought I would share this with you because it really brings to light the situation we are in today. He says, wake up municipal governments, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, and decent trusting people everywhere. Remember tobacco, asbestos, thalidomide? Well, now it's low level pulsed non-thermal radio frequency radiation that is harming us which no one can escape, not even those earnest but misguided people who say that wireless is harmless. Microwave frequencies penetrate walls and most building materials with impunity, and frequencies in the 700 megahertz band easily penetrate down into underground concrete parking lots and elevator shafts. 
And for clarification, RF or radio frequencies include microwave frequencies. He says, all governments need to realize that since at least the 1950s, Soviet, Russian, and U.S. militaries have each spent vast sums of money painstakingly studying and cataloging all RF frequencies to determine which are the most harmful to humans. The Soviets irradiated the U.S. Embassy in Moscow for 23 years, from 1953 to 1976, for just six to eight hours a day, five days a week, using similar frequencies, similar modulations, and even less power than are used in today's smart meters, baby monitors, cell phones. Even though the embassy was irradiated for what amounted to just 25% of the time, three U.S. ambassadors died, two from cancer, one from leukemia-like symptoms. Sixteen women developed breast cancer, and most other staff suffered illnesses of some sort. The U.S. military responded by launching its very own Project Pandora, from 1954 to 1971, from which they too learned which specific frequencies with which modulations at what power densities had the most devastating effects on humans, which included cancers, heart attacks, hysteria, trauma, suicides. Governments need to realize that all modern militaries now possess ever-expanding arsenals of electronic warfare weapons, which use precisely the same RF frequencies that inexcusably ignorant industry Canada and the United States today permits wireless and telecom companies, and now utilities, to utilize in their wireless products. Militaries have long known that microwaves are the perfect weapon. One cannot hear, see, smell, taste, or feel them. Plus, they leave no trace of evidence. They've long known that frequencies within the band of 900 megahertz to 5 gigahertz are the most lethal against humans because they penetrate more deeply all organ systems of the body and therefore put all human organs at risk. Yet, Industry Canada and the United States has authorized baby monitors, smart meters, and all of today's other wireless devices to operate at this very band of frequencies. Distinguished scientists and leading health researchers around the globe know that there is no such thing as a safe threshold of radiation. The only safe level is zero. They know that the non-thermal RF radiation, also called EMR, emitted by all wireless devices is cumulative, meaning that it adds up and it all combines and blends together like an ever-thickening fog. They know that non-thermal EMR causes, promotes, or is linked to the exponential rise in all of today's major illnesses, including all cancers, ADHD, asthma, multiple sclerosis, leukemia, Alzheimer's, dementia, autism, ADD, Parkinson's, ALS. Yet, Health Canada and the United States refuse to admit this. They know that cancers and other major diseases have a latency period of 10 to 15 years or more. They know that cell phones have never been tested for safety in any jurisdiction to prove that they can be used by and or around people on a continuous 24-7, 365 basis in perpetuity. In 1984, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration exempted cell phones from having to undergo mandatory pre-market testing 
because industry convinced them that cell phone radiation was too weak to be of concern. This opened the floodgates for today's constellation of wireless devices, including smart meters, all of which use the same technology on similar frequencies. Not one peer-reviewed scientific study exists anywhere showing that cell phones are safe. The United States cell phone industry's own six-year study, which cost $28.5 million in 1993 to 1995, showed that they are not safe. Yet that study was defunded and hushed up. All cell phone owner manuals contain, in very fine print, warnings for the user not to hold the phone closer than, in the case of a BlackBerry, 0.98 inches, Apple, 5 eighths of an inch, Motorola, one inch from any part of the body, not just the head. Since 2001, Motorola, Nokia, and other cell phone companies have taken out global patents that acknowledge cell phone radiation can lead to cancer. And we've talked about this before. Wireless and cell phone companies and electric utilities cannot get insurance against health-related claims attributed to wireless radiation. Now, why would that be? In 2010, the CTIA stands for the Cellular Telecommunications Internet Association's own senior vice president of external and state affairs told a public audience in California, quote, I have not told you once, not once that cell phones are safe. The FCC is telling you they are safe, unquote. Now, this association lobbies all levels of government across the United States on behalf of its members. There exist today literally thousands of studies done by honest scientists from around the world showing that any wireless radio device is harmful to people, flora and fauna. The evidence is simply too compelling. In all decency, it must no longer be ignored. In closing, Jerry says, I have evidence to support everything I have said above. My earnest hope is that each of you is now better able to understand today's reality. One cannot exaggerate the scale and scope of today's corruption that now literally threatens the entire globe. Unless you and honest elected officials elsewhere put a stop to this insanity, mankind's worst ever genocide will become a reality. I am available to answer questions and will share my 500 plus slide PowerPoint presentation free of charge to anyone wanting it. The evidence is there for all to see. One only has to look. Signed, Jerry Flynn. Wow, there you have it. Microwave frequencies are weapons, not a consumer product. Not something to hang over your infant's bed to monitor them. Not something to press to your ear 24-7. The German government has recommended the use of Wi-Fi in the workplace or home should be avoided where possible. France has banned Wi-Fi from all kindergarten schools in the country. In other schools, Wi-Fi routers must be turned off when not actually in use. Over 200 world-class scientists recently issued a press release calling on the United Nations and the World Health Organization to stop this insane irradiation of the entire population. Berkeley, California City Council in May of 2015, voted 9-0, to zero, approving an ordinance making it the first city in the United States in which merchants must now provide customers buying cell phones with written documentation showing how much radiation-specific cell phones emit and the distances users are cautioned to keep cell phones away from any part of their body. San Francisco had attempted to do the same thing in 2010, 
But the CTIA, the powerful trade and lobbying organization for cell phone industry, sued San Francisco on grounds that informing citizens of possible health risks from cell phones violates manufacturers' First Amendment constitutional rights. They claim that disclosing manufacturers' own safe use precautions, which are currently hidden in the fine print of user manuals, and offering consumers facts regarding possible health risks from their products is illegal. British Columbia's Confederation of Parents Advisory Council, representing over 500,000 parents, calls on Board of Education to have one public school at each educational level that is free of Wi-Fi and to stop installing Wi-Fi when hardwired technologies are an option. Sooner rather than later, this insane crime against humanity must stop. Now, I'm not saying to throw out your computers. Simply wire them. And people need to stop carrying their cell phones around like it's a prized baby. Speak up and speak out against that smart meter that is radiating you in your home. March into your schools and educate the educators. Limit your exposure, especially at home. Get rid of the wireless router. Remove the cordless phones that emit like huge cell towers on every corner. Unplug everything in your room at night when you sleep. And don't sleep with your cell phone. I'm asking you to stay healthy so you can avoid a doctor or hospital visit. Hospitals are no longer a place to heal as they are blasting with microwave radiation due to their wireless technology. And often, they house cell towers on top of their buildings. I know this because I bring my meter with me every time I go. Let's realize sooner rather than later that we are being lied to, duped. And my, how quickly we have become the stupid victims at the back end of a money-hungry industry. But don't take my word for it. Start your own research. And if you'd like to communicate with Jerry Flynn and get a copy of his 500-plus slideshow, call me, 440-725-5462, 440-725-5462, or email me, pat at speakupandstayalive.com, and I will put you in touch with him. Remember, my friends, it's up to you to alter the course, not only for you, but for the generations behind us. You have to speak up and stay alive. After the show, be sure to visit the website, speakupandstayalive.com, for more life-saving information. Plus, that's where you can purchase the book, Speak Up and Stay Alive, The Patient Advocate, Hospital Survival Guide. Bring the book to the hospital with you. It's the best way to stand out and in a positive way. And remember, we donate two handmade pillowcases to either a troop member or to a local veteran's shelter for every book sold, with your name on it as the donor. So for a mere $20, you benefit, and so does some well-deserving warrior. Give a meaningful and useful gift that really says, I care. Give the gift of healthcare safety. Purchase the book, the patient safety logs, and throw in some of those icebreaker cards. It's a one-size-fits-all present that everybody needs. You can order online at speakupandstayalive.com or call me, 440-725-5462. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.
Hi there, I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, the host of Mrs. Green's World, and I personally invite you to become a part of our movement. We show up every day to help create the change we wish to see because we care deeply about this great planet of ours. The guests I interview inspire ways of living that are healthy, sustainable, and socially just. We discuss real issues by leveraging experts and science to get trustworthy information. Please visit our website at mrsgreensworld.com to learn more and to become a part of our world. You're listening to Speak Up and Stay Alive, Patient Safety Radio, and I am your hostess, Pat Rulo, always inviting a guest to join us who knows how to make a positive difference when it comes to patient safety and the patient experience. And perhaps the most important patient experience will include some of our final conversations with our healthcare providers. What will our doctor-patient end-of-life discussion sound like, feel like? A key ingredient to informed patient-doctor discussions regarding end-of-life care includes the patient's ability to understand and imagine hypothetical disease states and medical interventions. However, studies suggest that there are numerous barriers to communication between doctors and patients. But one innovation to surmount these barriers includes using video decision aids to reinforce end-of-life conversations. And with that, our guest today is going to share a low-tech, high-empathy plan to revolutionize end-of-life care. He is Dr. Angelo Volandis, and he leads a group of internationally recognized researchers who create and study video decision aids to empower patients and families to make informed decisions at the end of life. Angelo is a faculty member in the General Medicine Unit at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. His first book was just released and titled The Conversation, A Revolutionary Plan for End-of-Life Care, about how people can empower themselves to get the right medical care at the right time and on their own terms. And we're going to dig into the revolutionary plan right now. So welcome to the show, Angelo. Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me. Really great to be here. Oh, thank you. It is our pleasure. And one of the main reasons I was interested to have you on the program is that your mission statement is in alignment with my message and the goal of this program. And I'd like to share that with our listeners. Your mission is to empower patients and families so that they can be in the center of and in control of their health care. You say that we firmly believe that the best patient-doctor relationships are based on open communication and shared knowledge, and that medical care must reflect patients' values and preferences. How then did you come to use videos to support this kind of shared decision-making? Yeah, thanks for um, reading that mission statement, because it reminds me why we started this program and why we are intent on really disrupting healthcare. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the end of life, Most patients tell us they don't want to die in hospitals, and yet the fact is that most patients are still dying in hospitals. And I think a a large reason for that is that most doctors have a really tough time about having the conversation, this honest and frank discussion that we ought to be having with our patients and with our families. And so in order to empower patients, you know, if your doctor is not going to bring this up, well, can you get a video that presents some of the information so that you know your options. And, you know, as part of the book, we have released a free video, um, which is at theconversationbook.org, and it's a short video that really walks you through the process of what are the questions you should ask yourself? What are your options for medical care? 
What's an advanced directive, and how do you pick someone to speak on your behalf if you're not able to have that conversation? And so what we've done is created these short videos to help empower patients and families to know their options. Because the truth is, I mean, you're interested in patient safety, I'm interested in patient safety. And what we know is that when patients get care, quote unquote, care at the end of life, much of these, those aggressive medical interventions are things that most patients would not want if they were more informed. And so what we're hoping is that the videos truly put patients back at the center of care. You know, I'm a doctor, I take care of patients on a daily basis, and what I realize is that although doctors and healthcare systems talk about patient-centeredness, that's the new go-to phrase, mm -hmm. our healthcare system is not patient-centered. We hope that the videos put patients back at the center so that they truly get the care that they want, and more importantly, that they deserve. And I thought about your video yesterday. This is all coming together quite interestingly. Um, I have a very close family friend who is actively dying. And his wife called me up and said he's in the hospital. So we went to visit with him yesterday. And while visiting him, they moved him to the palliative care wing. And the new nurse walked in and asked his wife. And right in front of him, she said, does he know how bad off he is? And then she took off his boots for the pressure sores and threw them up on the top of the cabinet and said, he's not going to be needing these anymore. And it made me think of your videos. And I thought, wow, if there was a hospital protocol that addressed this conversation prior to that family even arriving at the palliative care floor, then everybody would know, the patient, the family, and the staff would know that everyone knew what this gentleman was aware of and, and wouldn't have to phrase that question in such a harsh way. Yeah, I'm sorry that your family friend um, had such a bad experience. Well, the truth is that, you know, doctors and nurses, we're not trained to do this conversation well. We're really not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially people who have been out of school for the last 10 years, they have never heard about palliative care or hospice. They probably never had communication training. So to be quite honest, I'm not surprised that you had that really awful interaction especially during this vulnerable period in people's lives and at the end of life. And so if we had videos to help educate people, patients, families, people years before they get a critical illness, well, we'd all be better for it. And that's why we feel that videos will disrupt the healthcare system by empowering patients. Because right now, let's face it, doctors are still in control. We have all the knowledge. If we don't bring this up during a patient-doctor visit, guess what? You're unlikely to talk about this. Mm -hmm. But if a patient knows what his or her options are, or if a family, if a daughter knows what her options are for her mom with advanced Alzheimer's disease, well, then they can take control and start the conversation with their doctor so that even if your doctor doesn't want to talk about this or doesn't feel comfortable talking about end-of-life care, well, you can start the process putting the power back into patients and families' hands where it ought to be. Absolutely, absolutely. And that makes me think about unwanted care. And I want to talk about that for a moment because you did mention at the opening that most people prefer to die in the comfort of their homes. I think the statistic is what, like two-thirds of Americans die in healthcare institutions and they've, they've got all kinds of life support going on and, and using all of the drugs that are available. And healthcare providers want to treat and patients and families think that they must be treated how do we know when it's too much? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's such a complicated question, but such an important and urgent issue for us to talk about 
You're absolutely right. Even though in the latest poll, 86% of Americans want to die at home surrounded by their loved ones, two-thirds of Americans, the fact is two-thirds of seniors are dying in a hospital or a nursing home. That is truly unwanted care. Mm -hmm. When people end up getting CPR, getting coded, getting put on breathing machines in a hospital at the end of life, when we know they wouldn't have wanted it, especially if they have advanced cancer or advanced Alzheimer's disease, well, then that's, that's a medical error. It's no different than a surgeon operating on the wrong side of the body. It is an urgent matter that we need to speak to right now because too many, especially of our seniors, of our patients with advanced diseases, are getting, and I'll use the word, they're getting tortured in our hospitals mm -hmm. when they're having these procedures performed on them when we know that many of these procedures have huge risks and very, very small, if any, benefits at the end of life when you have a serious illness in an advanced terminal condition. And look, the, the main reason why I think this is happening is that doctors are, are not having the conversation. Mm -hmm. We're not slowing down, sitting down, and asking patients what's important to them. And that's the main reason why I called my book, The Conversation. It's a pretty simple title. It is making sure that we are honest and having these discussions with our patients, not when it's 3 in the morning and you're vomiting and in the emergency room and you can't speak and you have a, an advanced illness, but we should be having this discussion years before, when you're feeling great, when you just ran the Boston Marathon. You should be having these discussions when you can have a, a, a discussion with a doctor. Uh, and you have the opportunity to think about what's important to you and what your values are. Right, right. But I think due to the, 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 brute, the brute force of our training and the hours and the exhaustion, we forget. We lose sight. We even lose our navigation when it comes to remembering what's important, and that is making sure we are honoring and respecting the voices of patients. Right. But we've designed a healthcare system that often leads us not to do the right thing by assuming that everybody walking into the hospital wants everything done. I think we've designed a system that has failed people, especially at the end of life. And what's very interesting is that the IOM, the Institute of Medicine, came out with a report um, just a few months ago that stated end-of-life care in America is broken at every level mm -hmm. and it needs to be entirely overhauled. Right. And that takes us then directly to that conversation. And, and so as I was thinking about the conversation, that's broken down into two scenarios. One would be the patient and their family prior to a medical event, as you suggested. And the second would be the conversation at the institution level. So can you address both of those one at a time? The patient and the family, let's start with that. When and how and, and how do you suggest that take place? Absolutely. So I think when it comes to patients and families, this conversation about care at the end of life should happen outside of the healthcare system first. It should happen over dinner. It should happen at a holiday, perhaps over Thanksgiving, where everybody's together. And let's just talk about what's important to us. What's a good day? What brings us joy and happiness? And then let's talk about if you weren't able to do those activities, if you weren't able to go for a walk or to interact with your grandchildren, well, what are the sort of things you would or wouldn't want attempted in terms of health care? You know, these, these aren't really medical questions. They're really questions about life. Mm -hmm. And so I tell my patients and families, go ahead and start this conversation before you become ill, before 
any of this medical stuff happens. And then pick someone that you feel really represents who you are. Maybe it's a son, maybe it's a daughter, but maybe it's your neighbor who knows you far better than a family member. And then have this conversation with them as well. And what I tell people is when you start this process, when you pick what we're calling a proxy or a surrogate to speak on your behalf, you know, go ahead and record yourself having this conversation with them. And I tell people, go ahead and email that short video to yourself, to your loved ones, but also to your doctor. Mm -hmm. And someday that video might be able to be uploaded into your electronic medical record. And this way, when you do become ill and you do get admitted to a hospital, that hospital physician who's probably never seen you before can actually go through your electronic health record and see that you left a video. And that doctor can look at that video and hear your voice, see your face, understand what was important to you, and make sure that he or she is honoring and respecting your wishes. That's what I think people can do to take back health care, to start the process of having this conversation with their loved ones, with their surrogate, their proxy, years before they ever end up in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And then go ahead and start this conversation with your doctor. At the end of the day, it is critical that you have this discussion with your doctor because your doctor is the only one who can translate what's important to you into what the healthcare system, the medical orders that the healthcare system needs in order to respect and honor your voice. But to go to your second point about how do we get this conversation going within medical facilities and within the, the medical culture, well, I think that's where we really need to think about even larger questions about what our society pays for in terms of having these discussions. Look, you know, the way medicine works today is reimbursement. Uh, we pay for doctors to do things. We pay for them to do all these procedures. Um, in fact, we pay for hospital beds to be full, not empty. I think we have to move from what we call these volume-based ways of reimbursing to value. I think we should pay people to deliver care that they deserve and that, that is consistent with their wishes. So I think there needs to be a lot of reform at both a policy level but also at a hospital level so that doctors understand that this conversation is just as important as performing CPR or doing a colonoscopy. Talking to your patient is just as vital to their health as doing all these individual procedures. So I think there's multiple things that we can do to change medical culture. And you know, I'm happy to say that the videos are paying, uh, playing a large part of that. We see throughout the country where these videos are implemented that it's starting to change the medical culture. And again, I hope people do take advantage of the free videos that we have online at theconversationbook.org so that they can start empowering themselves and getting the care that they deserve. Excellent, excellent advice. I like the idea of, of videotaping your conversation with your family members because that would probably also even affirm your competency that you were a lucid, clear thinking person when you made those decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about advanced care planning and the specifics of that, making those decisions ahead of time and communicating those wishes to our loved ones and our healthcare providers. Are there any certain steps that a person should go through to accomplish this? Absolutely. So the first step is to recognize that you need to have this conversation early and often. And let's be clear, 
this isn't a one-off. It's not a one-time conversation, but a conversation that you have over time. And so I tell people the four questions that they should ask are the ones that I referred to earlier. First, what's a good day for you? What brings you joy and happiness? Second, if you weren't able to do those things, what sort of things do you or don't you want um, healthcare provided, providers to attempt? The third thing is, what are your hopes and fears in terms of medical care? And the last two things are, one, how do your spiritual, religious, and cultural beliefs affect your decision making? And then who would you want to talk on your behalf, to speak on your behalf, if you're not able to speak for yourself? I think that's one of the key questions that people forget. Don't just pick someone, but actually start that discussion with them. So if it's a daughter who lives nearby you, great. Pick her, make sure you get the legal documents that state that, and make sure to have the conversation. But you know, for a lot of people whose kids are not nearby them, I tell them, pick someone that really knows you. You know, if you haven't seen your daughter, she lives in California, and you, um, and you live in Boston, let's say, where I live, um, and that your daughter hasn't seen you for some time, you know, that might not be the right person to make these decisions. It might be your neighbor, it might be someone down the street who has known you for years. So it's important that you pick someone who will be there when you need them most, and it's important that you start that conversation with them ahead of time. Now, I want to step back. We were talking about end-of-life care, and you talked on some of your videos about the three levels of care. Can we just review those for our listeners? Oh, that's a great, great point. I think it's important that everybody understand that when you walk into the hospital anywhere in America, there are basically three levels of care, and they are called life-prolonging care, limited care, and comfort care. And these three categories are true throughout the state. So the first one is called life-prolonging care. This category of care is the focus is to prolong life. It includes anything available in a modern-day hospital, things like CPR or cardiopulmonary resuscitation, breathing machines, interventions in the intensive care unit. The goal of this category is to prolong life regardless of the pain and suffering or the risks and benefits. This category is really the category that most, most people walking into the hospital, we just assume that's what you would pick. And for the most part, for healthy people or people with a treatable illness, it makes a lot of sense to, to pick a life-prolonging care. But for people with a serious advanced illness, here's where the details become important. And here it has to do a lot with uh, CPR, for instance, the success rate of some of the procedures in life-prolonging care. CPR is a wonderful procedure that saved countless lives and it has improved dramatically over time. Uh, but for a, health, for, so for a healthy person, CPR has a very good chance of helping your heart start beating again. But it's important to know that for patients with a serious illness, advanced dementia, advanced cancer, advanced kidney disease, CPR often does not work. So what I tell people is, if you're going to choose life-prolonging care, make sure you understand what the risks and benefits are of these procedures for someone like you. So if you're healthy, then it makes good sense to pick life-prolonging care. But if you have an advanced terminal illness, it still might make good sense to pick life-prolonging care, but learn the facts. Learn what the risks and benefits 
what the success rate is for a lot of the procedures included in life prolonging care. So that's the first category of care. The middle, middle category is called limited care. Here the goal is to preserve physical and mental functioning. It includes many of the things we offer in our hospitals today, intravenous medications, CAT scans, MRIs, a lot of the uh, things that we offer outside of the intensive care unit in our hospitals. The goal is to perform things that often work but don't involve a lot of pain or suffering. And the middle category uh, would not include things like CPR and breathing machines because for people with an advanced illness, a lot of these interventions often do not work and they come with a good deal of pain and suffering. So the middle category is really for people who want to focus on physical and mental functioning, who are willing to do procedures that offer a good chance of helping without the burden of pain and suffering. And then the third category of care is called comfort care. Here, the goal is to relieve pain and suffering. It's really the focus on each day, the quality of each day, not the quantity of days. So comfort care includes things like pain relief. It includes things um, such as hospice care. It really focuses on the patient and making sure they're not short of breath, they're not in any pain. It makes sure that the focus of the whole healthcare team is on you and what's important to you. It would not include CPR or a lot of the other interventions that I mentioned earlier because we know that in patients with an advanced illness, many of these procedures do not help and they do cause a good deal of pain and suffering. So comfort care is when we want to focus on being comfortable and where we're focused on really enjoying every day we have. Um, so those are the three categories of care, life prolonging care, limited care, and comfort care. And those are the three options available across the country. And the online video that, I, that goes along with the book explains each one. Uh, so if you um, want to review them, go ahead and check out the video. Right, and that's at acpdecisions.org? Yes, we have the, uh, actually the easier link to remember is the conversationbook.org. Okay. Uh, I have it on YouTube so okay. people can actually uh, walk through and learn about the conversation and how to understand the three categories of care. Excellent. I think that's very important. I don't know that folks have a clear picture in their minds of where those levels of care lie. So now listeners, whether they're patients or providers, we've got a great mix of both. If they want to find out more about you and contact you, how can they do so? Sure. So uh, for the videos, they can go and see the free, the free video, which is at theconversationbook.org. Um, if they want to contact, it, contact me, they can just go to angelovalandis.com. And if they want to purchase the book, uh, The Conversation, it's available in every bookstore in America, independent, Barnes & Nobles. It's also on Amazon and barnesandnobles.com. It's also available as an audio book on audible.com, iTunes, and it's obviously also as a Kindle and an e-book. It's pretty much available in any format and everywhere as well. Excellent, excellent. So I'm going to encourage everyone to do so. And I think that the conversation we had today reminds us that all healthcare decisions should be about the patient and not the illness. 
and your videos act as an icebreaker that open the door to sometimes a difficult dialogue, but do permit a more patient-centered conversation. So I encourage everyone to visit the website that we just mentioned, theconversationbook.org. If you're a patient, tell your physician and hospital about this. And so, Angelo, thank you so much for sharing yourself and your project with us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Tired the same old presentations? Can you forward to slide 38, please? Are you looking for a new, out-of-the-box topic for your next event? Want your group to leave inspired, informed, and satisfied? No PowerPoint presentations and dim lights here. No snoring or snoozing goes on during Pat's presentations. To help your entire group, organization, business, or church stay safe during any healthcare or hospital experience, invite Pat to speak. Pick a topic from her website or request your own. Visit her website, speakupandstayalive.com, or call Pat to discuss how she can make your next event fun, enlightening, and life-saving. Want testimonials? Go to the bulletin board link at the website for color pictures and comments from real people. Again, it's speakupandstayalive.com or call 440-725-5462. That's 440-725-5462. Restaurant here, it's sing that trendy cell phone. Nothing really matters but your cell phone. Cell phone, cell phone. I want to share a quick cell phone story. Recently, I stopped into a Chipotle's on the way to the radio station to tape a show. There were 27 people in line, and yes, I counted them as they waited in silence to place their orders. Each and every one of them were feverishly absorbed by their cell phones. In the restaurant here, it sing that trendy cell phone. No one spoke. All you could hear was the seriously obnoxious music that many say Chipotle's is known for. Except, people like it. As I watched the lovemaking in front of my very eyes, I wondered out loud to Bob, What is going on here? Look at these people. They are zombies hunched over, two-thumbed, glassy-eyed, non-speaking zombies. And I asked, is this an addiction? Should we really characterize the intense consumer devotion to the cell phone as an addiction? A recent experiment using neuroimaging technology suggests that drug-related terms like addiction and fix aren't as scientifically accurate as a word we use to describe our most cherished personal relationships. And that word is? love. So I set out to research this bizarre behavior, and here is something I found. It is an op-ed that appeared in print on October 1, 2011 in the New York Times on page A21 of the New York edition, with the headline, You Love Your iPhone, Literally. The author is Martin Lindstrom. He is also the author of a book, Brand Washed, Tricks Companies Use to Manipulate Our Minds and to Persuade Us to Buy. Now, in fairness, I also found others who disputed his words, but something is going on here, and I think his thoughts warrant some consideration. He writes, Friends who have accidentally left home without their iPhones tell me they feel stressed out, cut off, and somehow unwhole. That sounds a lot like separation anxiety to me. Not long ago, 
I headed an effort to identify the 10 most powerful affecting sounds in the world. I found that a vibrating phone came in third, behind only the Intel chime and the sound of a baby giggling. Phantom vibration syndrome is the term I use to describe our habit of scrambling for cell phone we feel rippling in our pocket, only to find we are mistaken. And this is me talking. If you recall, I did a little segment on Speak Up and Stay Alive Patient Safety Radio on the faux cell alarm and ringxiety. All right, back to Martin. He says, similar to pressing an elevator button repeatedly in the belief that the elevator will descend sooner, we check our phones for emails and texts countless times a day, almost as if we will others to text, call, email, or Skype us. So, are our smartphones addictive, medically speaking? Some psychologists suggest that using our iPhones and Blackberries may tap into the same associative learning pathways in the brain that make other compulsive behaviors, like gambling, so addictive. As with addiction to drugs or cigarettes or food, the chemical driver of this process is the feel-good neurotransmitter dopamine. He continues, Earlier this year, I carried out an fMRI experiment to find out whether iPhones were really, truly addictive, no less so than alcohol, cocaine, shopping, or video games. In conjunction with the San Diego-based firm MindSign Neuromarketing, I enlisted eight men and eight women between the ages of 18 and 25. Our 16 subjects were exposed separately to audio and to video of a ringing and vibrating iPhone. In each instance, the results showed activation in both the audio and visual cortices of the subjects' brains. In other words, when they were exposed to the video, our subjects' brains didn't just see the vibrating iPhone, they heard it too. And when they were exposed to the audio, they also saw it. This powerful cross-sensory phenomenon is known as synesthesia. But most striking of all was the flurry of activation in the insular cortex of the brain, which is associated with feelings of love and compassion. The subject's brains responded to the sound of their phones as they would respond to the presence or proximity of a girlfriend, boyfriend, or family member. In short, the subjects didn't demonstrate the classic brain-based signs of addiction. Instead, they loved their iPhones. As we embrace new technology that does everything but kiss us on the mouth, we risk cutting ourselves off from human interaction. For many, the iPhone has become a best friend, partner, lifeline, companion, and yes, even a valentine. My best advice? Shut off your phone, order some good champagne, and find love and compassion the old-fashioned way. Cell phone, cell phone, cell phone, cell phone, cell phone. Well, there you have it, some crazy information about cell phones. I'm hoping that it's clear that the frequencies given off by these and other wireless devices are known to do harm and have been used by military around the world to do harm. So why on earth are we so easily swayed into feeling that we have to have one of these in our hands at all times and worse, pressed up against our heads? Now granted, many say they couldn't do business without a cell phone and that may be true. But to hold one constantly, to drive with one in your hand, to forego eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball conversations with real people, to sleep with one tucked under your pillow, has nothing to do with doing business. Monkey business, maybe, <laughs> but it's simply not necessary. And when it's not absolutely necessary, given what I shared with you today, 
turn it off. The radiation is ruining your health, your sleep, your productivity, your fertility, and really, your sanity. And the last thing you need is to land in the healthcare system that, as we know, is fraught with its own set of problems. Walk into a doctor's office or hospital, and you are in imminent danger of acquiring an infection. An infection that you didn't have when you walked in. An infection that just may cause you to never walk out again either. Compound that with the very real fact that hospitals are blasting with radiation. And well, I think it's quite obvious that you don't want to go there if you don't have to. So prevention, my friends, is the answer. Turn off the phone and go do something with someone you love. Well, we are at the end of our time today, but if you want more, remember I speak to groups of all kinds and all sizes, so call me to arrange for an enlightening and entertaining event. 440-725-5462. That's 440-725-5462. Or email me at pat at speakupandstayalive.com. The and is spelled out. It's pat at speakupandstayalive.com. I'd love to meet you and your crowd too. Now come back next week for more life-saving information. Same time, same place. But you know me, never the same information. Until then, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week. Free from military-grade microwave frequencies. I am Pat Rulo, and I am your guide to safe and successful healthcare and hospital encounters. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. It's summer, and that can only mean one thing. It's time to have some fun with your friends, your family, and there's only one place to do that, Pioneer Waterland and Dry Fun Park. 10661 Kyle Road in Chardon, Ohio, 440-285-0910. Or visit the website, pioneerwaterland.com. See you there.